0: Hey, beloved, welcome to another chapter of the Book of Sean. Thank you for tuning in tonight. It's good to have you. We have an interesting show for you, something that we've never done. And all the times that we've been on the air and all the time that I've been doing this show, we've never done this. And tonight, we're going to do it together, people. We're going to have most of the show, what we do, as Dr. Sean. Boatload of questions have come in. Normally, when we do the show, I don't have a chance to get to most of them because we have a guest or we have topics that I want to cover. But we've decided to dedicate today to your questions. All of the wonderful questions that you guys send in, the questions for which I'm always grateful and appreciative, appreciative of. rather And tonight, we get to tackle them all. So, let's do some ass, Dr. Sean. Come on, Harley. All right. So let's take a look at this video. Um, let's check it out. Hello Dr. Swan, my name is Sherwin from Silver Spring, Maryland, and I have a question. What do you think are some good tips when dating online? Interesting question, um, good question too, cause I wish more people would ask this question. Because there are a lot of people who are dating online who meet each other online. Um, and so, online is kind of how people are finding each other. And your question is important because I think a lot of people who start dating online tend to create assumptions about the relationship that can't be true until you actually take it offline. So, my f- first answer to this interesting and good question is as soon as you can take your relationship analog, that is to say offline and in person, where you're actually seeing each other, whether that's live in the same room or via FaceTime, um, the better. Because the longer you continue to be a name that pops up on an app or a phone or a photo that pops up, or as long as the other person continues to be that, then the relationship... Is real at a certain level and obviously not real at a certain level. And when things are not as real as they need to be, we start to fill in the blanks with our own expectations, with our own pain, our own trauma, our own a lot of things. So, my best advice would be as soon as you can possibly make real connection, make real connection. Because connecting through this, as far as I'm concerned, is not real connection. So I know people who are in relationship with people and they only text each other. They never talk on the phone. They don't FaceTime. They just text. Now, I don't know how that can be fulfilling. I'm just saying where I come from, how I'm built, not fulfilling at all. At a certain point, I want to hear your voice. I want to see your face. And I think that if you're in a relationship with someone, you deserve certain things. You deserve intimacy. You deserve closeness. You deserve to be able to behold the beauty of the one that you're loving, and you deserve to be beheld, to be seen, to be seen and to know that the person is actually into you. Because as long as somebody is only in your phone, then you never really quite know if they're into you, if they really like your personality if you're just texting on an app or, you know what I'm saying? You don't know because you've never actually been in the same room. You haven't spent five minutes together. You don't know how each other moves around in the world or let alone the house. And I think people who just persist in online situations are normally people who want relationships, but are afraid to actually be in one. So an online situation becomes a convenient proxy. My advice to everybody, as soon as you possibly can, make real connection. And not the least of which because you don't know if somebody's catfishing you, Juan. <laughs> you don't know if people are catfishing you. You need to know, all right? So don't, 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 don't take this online thing too far to the degree that you're building a whole relationship with someone and you've never actually heard their voice, you've never actually seen their face. Big problem, big red flags. And, and let me just say that this is my last part of this. Anybody who really wants to be with you, anybody who's serious about loving you, should want to be in your presence one way or another. And you can tell the intensity of the interest by whether or not they're willing to manifest and be in your presence in a real and tangible way. Anybody who's not interested in actually being in your space may not be worthy of being in your life even if you do keep them in your phone <laughs> all right i think we got another video let's take a look at this one hey dr sean i'm donya and i could really use your advice so a few years ago i told myself that i would no longer settle for less and now recently i found my dream job i'm so excited about it but unfortunately it doesn't pay as much as i would like it to so i'm wondering do i take this dream job or do i go find another job that's gonna pay me more money Great question. Let me begin by saying this, every dream has a price. No dream is going to be born in your life for free or without sacrifice or without you having to give up something in order to have something sacred, something precious must be sacrificed. I believe that I've lived that. I think that's just, that's how the world works. So if this is your dream job, it does not surprise me that it comes with a price. And in this case, less money. In fact, if your dream job came without you having to make a sacrifice, I would question whether or not the dream was worthy. Because when something is worthy, it always comes with a demand for you to have to make a decision. So you prayed for something to enter into your life. And then it came into your life, but it came with a price tag. And so you got what you wanted but then life wants to make sure that it's really what you desire. So, the dream job comes without the money that you were hoping it would come with. Now you gotta make a choice. Is this really the dream? And this might be a wonderful opportunity for you to rediscover whether or not you really wanna do this. You follow what I'm saying? And that's not a bad thing, that's a blessing. It is a blessing to have an opportunity where you can change your mind, or to have an opportunity when you can affirm the fact that you actually wanna do this. Money, be damned. Moving to another city, be damned. You don't care what it costs you. See, that's the only way you know that this is the thing that you most desire to do. When you have to put your shoulder to the wheel of the future and push and make certain decisions and sacrifice that most people would not be willing to make and they would not be willing to make the same decisions that you're willing to make because it's not their dream. I'm not sad that this has come with a complication and a difficulty. I'm happy about it and you should embrace this as the opportunity for you to either change your mind and free yourself of something that's not meant for you to do or for you to reaffirm what it is you desire. And if this is still the thing that you most want to do, then you got to make a decision about doing it, irregardless or irrespective to the money you might make doing it. You see, if it was my dream job, the thing that I desired to do since I was whenever, I'd find a way to pay those bills, but I would never say no to the thing that I've been waiting to do for 20 years. Because even if you only do it for a little while, imagine for a moment getting to the end of your life and knowing you had a chance to do this and you didn't do it because of money. You didn't do it because you were not willing to live with the insecurity of not knowing how every financial detail was going to be handled. I don't want you, my sister, to get to the end of your life and not have the opportunity to look back on your life and say, you know what? I did it. Even if I only did it for a month or for six months or a year, I did it. I did it. I tried it. I conquered it. Or even if I failed, but I did it. I want you to have that privilege. And I want you to deny yourself the opportunity to be able to look yourself in the mirror and love what you. Yeah. I think that's important. I really do. So good luck with that. If you're confused about my advice, my advice is take the job. Find creative ways to make the money you need, but don't let the dream pass you by because you'll wake up one morning and be 40 or 50 and dreaming won't be allowed. (laughs) You just got to pay bills. All right, someone emailed me this question. My wife is a control freak. My family and friends don't want to be around her because of her controlling nature and because she's rude how do i tell her that her behavior turns people off yeah this is this is this is one of those questions where you have to tell someone a hard truth but you're not telling it to an enemy you're telling it to someone you care about and what and and sometimes when what you have to say is offensive it's all about how you say it It's all about the tone and the setting. It's all about how you frame what it is that needs to be said and what it is that needs to be heard. So here's how you do it. You sit down with your wife and um, you sit close. (laughs) You lean in and you tell her, listen, honey, I know that your life has been no crystal stair and you've had ups and downs like everybody else. You have your positive aspects and you have your negative aspects. And I know how in your heart you really want to be a certain person. And I know in your heart, you imagine yourself to be living out what you want to be. But the reality is that's not how you're coming across. You're coming across as someone who is controlling, who is rude, and you're coming across as someone who, who is pushing people away. That may not be who you are, but it certainly happens to be how people are experiencing you. And regrettably, I'm one of those people. What I want to know is, is that truly The representation that you want to make for yourself, both in this marriage and in our community and in our family. And then you let her talk (laughs) because you need to know if this rude, controlling person is the person she most wants to be. Or is she able to realize that she's coming across in a way that doesn't represent who she perceives herself to be? Showing the rest of the world, you see. If she gets defensive, as most people are prone to do, then your responsibility in that moment is to simply say to her, "I'm not attacking you. I'm attacking you rather. I'm not accusing you. I'm telling you what my experience of you happens to be. I'm not telling you who you are. I'm not telling you what you and what you intend or what you mean to do. I'm simply telling you how we interact and what I." take away from those interactions. And not just me. Our friends and our family also have the same conclusion. And I'm asking you, are those the conclusions you want us to have? You see how I did that? Because when people get defensive, they make it about defending themselves. And the challenge of the, of the person on the other side of that conversation is to say to them, this isn't about you defending yourself. This is about you deciding whether or not your behavior and the consequences of that behavior line up together. Now, if your wife says that that's exactly who I am, I am a controlling freak. And I am rude by nature. That's exactly what I want to do. Well, that's a whole nother scenario. And that's a whole nother question you probably need to send me. But if she says that that's not who I want to be, and that's not how I'm trying to come across, then that begins a conversation about how to change it. And that also probably should begin her journey into some kind of therapeutic process to figure out why it is she's coming across that way. What's going on in her that has disempowered her to misrepresent herself so fabulously. You see, this could really be a chance for you to discover who she is. And your response to what she says can be a chance for you to discover who you are as the both of you discover what this marriage is really all about. Because one of the things you're gonna to have to ask yourself is what was it about you that allowed you to marry a controlling and rude person? Hmm? What was it about you? What was broken in you that rudeness and manipulation didn't turn you off? And that's a question you're gonna to have to answer. In as much as she's going to have to figure out how she's manifesting, you're going to have to figure out why you are attracted to these negative traits. But the conversation begins just the way I laid it out for you. And after that, the work, the work. Good luck with that. All right, everybody, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we got some more Ask Dr. Sean. We got some crazy questions coming up. Some good ones about sex. (laughs) We're going to talk about sex right after this. (laughs) Welcome back, everybody. So, we've been doing Ask Dr. Sean today because this is the day we decided to just dump the mailbag, look at all the videos, and try to work our way through all the great questions you guys get to ask. And so I'm finally getting around to answering a lot of these questions. Okay, let's do some last Dr. Sean. Okay, so this video was sent in by Dominique. Let's take a look at it. Hey, Dr. Sean, I'm Dominique, and I have a friend whose boss keeps making passes at her, and it makes her uncomfortable. But she thinks that if she flirts back with him, that it might help her move up in the company faster. And I'm trying to tell her, you know, that it's a slippery slope and she probably wants to go ahead and file a complaint, you know? And she's not just not really hearing me out on this. And I'm just wondering if you have any tips for her. And um, she's married. Yeah, I forgot to add that part. She's actually married, so um, please help. Wow. Okay. Um, First, let me say that do you know how many women under the misnomer that acquiescing to sexual innuendos or flirting, that they would somehow climb the corporate ladder? you know how many women ultimately fell down professionally and broke their professional necks, metaphorically? Because that's never how it ends. And if it does go that way for a little while, It still never ends the way you hope, because quite frankly, let's just be clear. You can't buy your way to the top. You really can't. And you can't sleep your way to the top or flirt your way to the top. Either you are gifted and you belong there, which means you'll stay there or you're not. Or you're not. Your friend is absolutely um, being what's the word for this? Um, Not assaulted. Is that is this sexual assault? I don't know if it's sexual assault, but she's definitely being compromised. She's being asked to compromise who she is and her professional standards. And somewhere along the line, I don't know her past because you didn't tell me much about her. But somewhere in her journey, it became okay for her to associate success with the lack of self-respect. Now, she's married. As you just mentioned, which makes this a whole nother reality. Because if your friend had the kind of moral compass that she should have, her immediate reaction to be should be rather to be repulsed by this. She should be absolutely turned off by all of these shenanigans and foolishness. But in the fact that she's not is concerning to me about her moral center. Because she's a married woman. Who, should, who, who just on those grounds should know better, but she's also a professional who should know at this stage of life in 2023 as a woman, you don't have to put up with that. This is not 1950, 1947. You don't have to put up with that. I want everybody watching me to hear me. You don't have to put up with the crap that you had to put up with in the 60s and 70s and 80s. and 90s. It, those days are over you stand up for yourself. And this whole notion that she's going to trust her future to somebody who would disrespect her marriage and have no integrity about maintaining a sense of professionalism is absolutely crazy. There's no logic to what she's doing. You're going to trust your professional future to somebody who's already shown See, here it is. Anybody who will sin with you will sin against you. (laughs) Teach Dr. Shaw. I'm trying to tell you, anybody who will sin with you will sin against you before it's all over. She can't trust this man. This man cannot be trusted. He's already shown he has no integrity, no character. And now she believes he's going to take her up the ladder. He's going to promote her put her in positions to do well. No, 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 no. What she needs to understand is that when she goes to report him, whatever vitriol, whatever repercussion he's gonna imply or implore or, you know, put against her, what's gonna happen anyway? And the truth of the matter is, the way she protects herself is to report it. Because anything he does as a matter of consequence to her reporting it, she's protected from that because it's public, it's known, and he can't be vengeful. The way, when she reports it, she actually takes her power back. You need to tell your friend to have some integrity, have a sense of decency, and to not, trust, and, and to not be so silly that she would trust the wolf to be kind enough to protect the sheep, or in this case, to promote the sheep, not gonna happen. What I would say to my friend is, if you don't tell, I will. <laughs> oh, anyway, Lord have mercy. Let's take a look at this next video. Hi, Dr. Sean. my name is Dr. Janelle Christine Simmons. That's a doctor in educational leadership not a medical doctor. I am from New York, specifically Flushing, New York. And I do have a question. As a born-again Christian with a Jewish heritage who was raised in the Moravian church and became a Pentecostal Christian, do you think that it's possible to be in union with a Jewish man who newly came to the faith of Christ? Do you think we would be unequally yoked? Please do give me your response. Thank you so much for taking my question, and I look forward to hearing what you have to say on this topic. First of all, that's a lot of religion, okay? We got Jewish background, Moravian, Moravian rather, um, Pentecostalism, It's a lot of religion, okay? I'm all for it. You know, I'm a church boy, so I'm all for it, but I'm going to give you an answer you're probably not going to like since you're Pentecostal now. And most Pentecostals don't like a lot of my answers. And I'm okay with that. See, I don't think you should base your relationship or your marriage on somebody's religion. I think you should base your relationship on how they treat you. And how they feel about themselves. And how they manifest and show up in the world. doesn't mean you shouldn't have a conversation about religion of course you should especially if you are of different religions you should have that conversation to decide how the two of you are going to respect each other's religious boundaries there are certain things i'm not going to ask you to do certain things you shouldn't ask me to do because i don't believe that and you don't believe this but we base our relationship on the love that we have for each other in the house now It'd be one thing if you were married or dating an atheist, somebody doesn't even believe in the God that you believe in. But if you're loving or dating or married to someone who just understands God a different way, then I don't know what's the big deal. You both have a God consciousness. You both respect God, but you both come out of different traditions, but your marriage Your marriage is about how you treat love, value, honor, and respect, and respect, and respect each other. There are a lot of people watching right now who are all about, I couldn't date nobody who ain't saved, and if you ain't saved and loving Jesus, I can't be with you. And then you go out and find somebody who is saved and loves Jesus, but they don't have any empathy, and they don't really care about your feelings, or you're not compatible in other ways. You see, just being saved and loving the same God the same way is not enough, which makes me say it, it really shouldn't be, at least for me, isn't a reason for me to accept or reject anybody. You can love Jesus and still be a liar. You cannot love Jesus and still be a good person. You can love Jesus and still Be somebody who's decadent and malevolent and resentful. You cannot love Jesus and be compassionate and be sensitive and attentive. How about we just judge the person in front of us by what they bring to the table, how they treat us, what they say, how they interact with us, and stop loading it up with all this religious whatever. But the interesting part of your question is that you said that he has converted and become a new believer. So I really don't understand the problem. This this is part of my problem with Pentecostals, to be honest with you. Of which I am one, so I get to talk about us. Is that we think that when you save, sanctify, filled with the Holy Ghost, the mighty burning fire, and you speak it in tongues and loving Jesus, your question implies that somehow it's hard to love somebody who just came to deliverance, who just came to salvation. Why is that hard? I don't understand what the complexity is. You love Jesus. You do your thing in the church, all that. And this person has become a new believer. And though this person is new in the faith, there was a time when you were new in the faith. Who loved you when you were new in the faith? I I, I don't, I don't, you know, my producers, we should do a love show. And um, one of the questions my producer would always put in the show that I never asked If you go back and watch, I never asked anybody. I think I may have asked once is about being unequally yoked because it's such a, it's such a ridiculous concept. It's a ridiculous concept. You're looking for somebody with whom you're equally yoked. What does that even mean? What does it mean to be equally yoked with someone that we are equal on all levels? Who is that person? Who is the person with whom you're equal on all levels? There are inequities in every relationship. And even if two people go to the same church at the same time and listen to the same sermon, they're both walking away with different interpretations. So aren't there inequities in that? What does it mean to be equally yoked? To be yoked with someone heading in, first of all, and I said this before, I don't want to be yoked anywhere. I'm not, I'm not an oxen. I'm not a cow. <laughs> don't yoke me. I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in having somebody who is, who, you know what a yoke is? A yoke is a thing you put on the neck of a cow, two cows, and they got to go in the same direction. I don't, wanna, I don't want nobody whipped because they got a yoke on on them. I want somebody whipped because they want to be there. I don't, I don't understand how we think that because we have more experience in something than someone else, that that's grounds for us to only find difficulty and complexity. What if your job or your calling with all this salvation you have is to help him grow? I know a lot of people don't want to be in relationships anymore where they got to help people grow, but I got some bad news for you. Every relationship you have, every one of them, parental, child, love, on some level you are helping the other person grow. And to be honest with you, they're helping you, which is where I want to leave this question. The truth of the matter, you presume that him being new to the faith is a detriment and you being experienced in the faith is something good and noble. When the truth of the matter is, he might be the blessing to you. Because sometimes when you're in something too long, you start to take it for granted and you start to turn it into something it wasn't supposed to be. Yeah. All right. I got some more Ask Dr. Sean for you. I'm going to do an aha moment after this because when we come back, I got some things that are connecting these questions that I want to share with you. We'll do an aha moment, and I promise you we're going to talk about sex. (laughs) We'll be right back. (laughs) Hey, welcome back, everybody. So let's do an aha moment right now. That that last question in particular sort of brings to mind and brings to bear, quite honestly, what all of the questions we've dealt with so far kind of revolve around and are strung together with. And that is when you don't know who you are, when you are not in touch with what grounds you and centers you, you often find yourself making decisions that have absolutely nothing to do with the real you whether it's religion that we hide in, or our jobs that we hide in, or whatever it is. When you don't know who you are, either people take advantage of it, or we we overcompensate rather using external things to give us identity and validation that only truly is born of internal things. You say, Dr. Sean, what does it mean to know who I am? To know who you are simply means that you know what you stand on, what principles you believe and wanna manifest, that you know your story, your real story, not the story you tell people when you want them to think well of you, but the real story, the one that has you climbing up from the mud in the valley and the gutter, and you are in touch with the truth of that story and the principles of that story and the wisdom of that story. You see, you don't have to know what city you were born in. You don't have to know who your parents were. And you can still know who you are. As long as you pull from that journey, the things that you were supposed to learn. And all the questions we've dealt with so far are people who are moving away from what Faulkner called the center that must hold. Yeah. Here's your aha moment. Remember who you are. And when you have to make hard decisions, make those decisions based upon what you believe and what you stand for and what you've had to survive. Then you won't have to write me. (laughs) Speaking of writing me, let's do some more Ask Dr. Sean. Someone DM me this question. Here it is people, the sex. My husband wants to have sex all the time. I have a career. I take care of our three children and run our household. And I suggested that we schedule sex every other Saturday. Oh, Jesus. And he became angry and said sex should be spontaneous. How can we find a way to compromise? Well, listen, every other Saturday? <laughs> you sure that's a good idea, every other Saturday? Yeah, of course, let me just, Be on your side for a second. It ain't good to want to have sex all the time. I mean, literally all the time. I get that people have to do other things in a career. Taking care of kids is an important part of what people have to do. But I don't think the compromise is every other Saturday. Okay? And I'm going to tell you why. Because when men tell you that sex is important to them, that they are very sexual beings, you should probably believe them and you should probably try to make certain accommodations better than every other Saturday because that's how you lose them. Because if he is very sexual and as you put it, wants sex all the time, you better believe that he's going to be thinking about sex. He's going to be looking at sex. He's going to be wanting sex while you ain't giving him none until every other Saturday. And that's how all kinds of craziness gets invited into a relationship. Because here's a man who's told you I'm very sexual, right? And this is important to me. And here is a woman who has decided for whatever reason, those legitimate, maybe some not, that sex is not as important to me. And I'm not saying it's okay for a man to cheat when he doesn't get sex. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that's, a lot of the reason why men come to cheat, a lot of men cheat because sex is primal for them. It is, an, it is a sublimely important part of the relationship. When a woman decides that she's not going to sort of meet and match that energy, what does he do with that energy? And even the man that has the most integrity and the most character, trust me, even even the most honorable man, at some point, if he's very sexual, in the absence of sex, is gonna have a complicated conundrum moment. So how about you don't say every other Saturday? How about you find a better compromise that's closer to what will both Allow him to remain a part of this marriage with integrity, but also doesn't deny you of the truth that you have other things that you think are more important than sex. What about every Saturday? Can we do that? Every Saturday? Because every other Saturday is going to get you in trouble. I have no other way to say this. Every other Saturday is a recipe for disaster. Okay? What about about Wednesday and Saturday? That's good. Twice a week. And I know your husband says it should be spontaneous, but your husband needs to come into the real world, too. OK, you guys are busy people, it seems. And it would be great if sex was spontaneous and, you know, all of that. But you two don't seem to be that kind of couple who can do that. How about both of you acknowledge and accept the truth of who you are and the business busyness, rather of your lives? And say, you know, how about we try to make a commitment to make each other happy at least twice a week or once a week. But every other Saturday, please don't do that. (laughs) Don't tell him that. Because the moment he hears that, his mind is immediately going to say, you know what? This ain't going to work. She doesn't care about what I care about. And he is gonna be from that conversation forward in a fight, not with you, but with himself and all those other people out there who will have sex with him whenever he wants it. Doesn't make it right, no, doesn't make it right, but it is real, so you guys work that out. I think you'll be all right if you just bend a little. And maybe you should spend some time thinking about why you don't want pleasure more. Maybe you should talk to somebody about that because you deserve pleasure too, because you do have a career and you are taking care of these kids. So pleasure should be something that, quite frankly, you demand. In fact, considering the fact that you're doing all this stuff, you should be the one asking for more sex because I'm hoping you equate sex with pleasure and not with work because that would be a whole nother answer to a whole nother question. Good luck on that. Y'all will be all right, but not every other Saturday. All right, everybody, let's take a break. We'll be right back with more sex questions. <laughs> Ready? Welcome back, everybody. Woo! That last question was something, right? Um, one of the, one of the, the, the producers here, had an interesting answer that I didn't think of. And she said that, because the question was, um, my husband wants to have sex all the time. I want to schedule sex every other Saturday. What's the compromise? Uh, And the husband believes that sex should be spontaneous and not planned. So one of the people here said that she could plan it and just not tell him what the plan is. So to him, it is you know, random, (laughs) that's pretty good. Anyway, let's do some more, Dr. Sean, I got a video. Let's take a look at it. Hi, Dr. Sean, my name is Alyssa from Montreal, Canada, and I have a question for you today. What do you believe are some good tips for couples who are trying to invite other people into the bedroom, if you know what I mean? Told you we was gonna talk about sex. (laughs) So, So, tips for inviting other people in the bedroom. So I'm assuming this is tip for having threesomes and foursomes and open relationships. Um, I don't know if I have tips for this. I don't know. My, my only tip would be to be honest and to be honest about what you want from people. Um, and what you're expecting. I think honesty is the only tip that I have for you because you don't want to bring people in under, false pretenses. You want people to know exactly what's going on here and let them make an intelligent adult decision as to whether or not they want to be a part of it. You know what I'm saying? And I happen to think that sex is better when people actually want to be having it. <laughs> it's, it's just better when everybody wants to be there. I think honesty is the way you do it, but let me, let me challenge you a little bit. Okay. Cause I love you. I'm gonna challenge you. That's what love does. Before you start inviting other people in your bedroom and other people into your situation, marriage, whatever it is, romantic situation, make sure the two of you are stable and strong enough and ready for what you're trying to do. Because a lot of people think that they're ready for, to have somebody else in the middle, only to discover that they're not as ready as they thought. Because people can tell you all day long, well, you know, I'm going to have feelings and I'm no feelings and no feelings. And then watch them have feelings. When you wrapped up with somebody else. And you know what I mean by wrapped up with somebody else. You better make sure that your relationship is is strong enough to withstand the demands of what it is you're trying to make it comply with. Because I promise you, you've not had enough conversations about this. You say, well, we're both polyamorous people, right? We're both, you know, poly people. Got it. You don't think that even poly people at some point have a moment where they gotta work through the feelings? You guys need to have a conversation about what happens if this happens? What happens if that happens? Make sure that you've really thought your way through it so that you don't run to the sweetness like a honeybee at the door of the honey hive thinking only of the sweetness. Because there's not all sweetness when it comes to threesomes and and polyamorous situations. They They can be very complicated. And here's my last point on this. I'm not questioning that you know who you are. I'm not questioning that you know what you want. I'm asking you to ask yourself again, is this really what you want? Because if it's really what you want, then great. But if it's not really what you want, then this is an opportunity for you to pull back and to make a different decision before you get too deep into something that's going to be very complicated to get out. Again, I'm not questioning if you know who you are, I'm not questioning if you know what you want. I'm asking you to do what I would ask anybody to do before they made a big decision. Make sure one more time what you want. So good luck with that. But other than honesty, I have no idea how you get somebody else in the relationship because I don't want nobody else in my relationship. And I tend not to give advice that I'm not prepared to live myself. All right. All right, let's take a look at this video sent in by Brendan. Hey, Dr. Sean, I'm Brendan Lamar from Houston, Texas, and I need some advice. This past Sunday, I went to church and my pastor called me up to sing a song. I got up, sung my song, and sat right back down. I was definitely feeling some type of way. So after church, I went up to him and I said, hey, Paz, next time, give me a heads up before you call me up to sing a song. He had the nerve to tell me, I listen to God, I don't listen to man. Although I know where he's coming from, it definitely made me feel some type of way. So now I'm ready to leave the church. Should I have a conversation with them first or should I just leave? Well, if this incident is the only reason you're thinking about leaving the church, and there's nothing else involved, nothing else associated with the feeling of wanting to leave, and I would say don't let offense drive you away from something that obviously adds to your life. You see, we are, we are offended very easily in this culture. We allow offense to make decisions for us when we should be making those decisions based upon greater things that we believe and stand for. If you, if you run every time somebody offends you, you'll be running for the rest of your life. And you'll be running from most of the important people in your life. Your parents, your kids, your grandparents, your friends, people offend you. People will offend you and not even know that they've done it because they didn't mean to do it. See, offense is something we're gonna have to learn to understand differently in this culture, that you can be a good person and still say something offensive. And the question becomes, if in the presence of the offensive statement, do I throw the whole relationship away? I'm trying to convince you not to do that. I'm trying to convince you to do something better, something harder, because running is easy. I'm trying to convince you to go to that man and have a conversation and say, listen, I don't appreciate you calling me up to sing with not knowing I'm going to sing. And I don't appreciate you telling me that you listen to God and that man. Because the next time you ask me to sing, and not let me know that I'm going to sing, I'm gonna sit there and look at you. Because I listen to God just like you. And you keep going to church. <laughs> oh, anyway. All right, I gotta go. When we come back, we're gonna do some Here's What Doesn't Make Sense, right after this. Welcome back, everybody. Let's do some Here's What Doesn't Make Sense. This has to be one of the most ridiculous stories that I've heard in a long time. This week, lawmakers in Missouri and the House of Representatives in the state house there adopted a strict dress code for women. Missouri lawmakers in the state um, House of Representatives as part of a new rules package decided to require women to cover their shoulders by wearing jackets or a blazer or a cardigan. And before we get into the draconian nature of all of this, somebody needs to explain to me What is it about a woman's arms and shoulders that happens to be offensive? What is it about a woman showing her arms and her shoulders that happens to be unprofessional? I don't understand it. Now, please notice that none of the rules package changed the dress code for men or imposed any new dress codes for what men might wear, because, you know, we don't do that to men in this country. We only do it to women. And the new dress code only applies to women. Women got to cover up. Don't be showing your arms and your shoulders, because I don't know. I'm not quite sure what arms and shoulders do, but don't be showing them. Now, how is this different from what Islamic countries do that make women cover up their whole bodies? And ironically, it's white Christian nationalists that run around worried about, you know, Islam and Sharia law. And yet, that's exactly what they're doing in Missouri. That's exactly what they're doing in this country, trying to decide what a woman has to wear, trying to decide what is professional, unprofessional for a woman. See, let me say this to you. Um, I'm going to get in trouble for this. But this is some white people mess. (laughs) This is what it is. This is some, let me be more specific. This is some straight Christian white people mess. Were wait, 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 wait. you concerned about a woman showing her arms and her shoulders? Come on now! Don't we have better things to be legislating and thinking about when we're in the state house, other than you know looking at Susan's arms and what those arms are doing to me? Why can't why can't why can't folks control themselves instead of controlling other people? Why don't you control yourself? How about that? Republican Representative Ann Kelly was the woman. Who proposed this? This was proposed by a woman, which goes to show you that you can be a woman and still participate in the oppression of women, much like you can be a black person and still participate in the oppression of black people. You see, I'm really happy to know that most Americans don't want to legislate what women wear, but there are that's that's that 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 segment of American crazy which most of the time happens to be Christian, straight, and white, that think that their values should apply to everybody, which happens at the same time to be un-American. So um, Republicans always want to talk about how they are in the small government. They don't want government in your life, but they're always trying to tell you what babies you can have, who you can marry, who you can sleep with. And now in Missouri, they want to tell women what they can wear. Doesn't sound like a small government to me. Let's move on. Talk about the NFL. We don't do a lot of sports stories here at the Book of Sean, but I thought this was interesting to note because currently the NFL, the National Football League, only has two black head coaches. Two black head coaches, people. Mike Tomlin and Todd Bowles. A year ago, the NFL was looking for nine coaches, but only one of those teams decided to hire a black person. And with the recent rather firing of Lovey Smith in Houston, the NFL is down to two black coaches. Now the NFL is made of 32 teams. 60% of the people on those teams are black, and yet there are only two black coaches. And if you, you don't if you don't see why this is important, let me put it this way: Let's say you were working at a job, and 60 to, 60% of the people who are working on the job with you were black but none of the people that managed you were black, what would you say about that job? Let's try it another way. Let's say you were a woman. You were working on a job as a woman, and 60% of the people who worked on the job with you were women, but none of the people that managed you were women. What would you say about that job? Well, that's what we should say about the NFL. Let's try it this way. You see, people who think that black men are athletic enough to play but not smart enough to coach are trafficking in something as old as America itself. The idea that white men are the only people who can lead sports teams and organizations happens to be the least talked about vestige of white supremacy. The idea that white men are cerebral but black men are athletic uh, is an old white supremacist Presupposition and it completely permeates professional sports. Just listen to the sportscasters. He'll talk about how a white players intelligent and smart. Look how crafty he is. And then they'll say about the black player who can jump or run, he's a freak. Huh? He's a beast. Why can't it take just as much of intelligence to jump and run as it does to, I don't know, pass? Great leadership has nothing to do with race. Either you're a good leader or you're not. And the NFL can't expect us to believe there are no black leaders in America that can lead their teams. Because it ain't true. Anyway, thank you for tuning in tonight. Loved answering your questions, okay? We got to do this again. You guys have some great questions. I am absolutely excited to say we'll be back one more time this week. I'll see you then, okay? Y'all be good to each other. I love you! You too,